Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Killar jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Karlsson Yes, part two. Okay, how's everybody doing? You're listening to Keeping Carlson. You already heard me do the whole intro in the first half. So, Brian, let's just dive right back in here as we get to part two of our mega episode for this Sunday, November 13th, where we're still in the outjuries section and we were talking about the Boston Bruins and we had a patron, Gary, who wanted us to talk about Taylor Hall because the Bruins, get this, they were running, like I said, a five forward top power play and they still have been today in this win over Vancouver. And somehow Taylor Hall couldn't even crack a five forward top power play. That's not good. Okay. And he's been pointless in four games going into today. His shot on goals have been decreasing. If you look at then today, Boston versus Vancouver. And uh, okay, Taylor Hall got an assist. So if you want to say that, great. Every, you know, the cold streak is over, but I don't know. I'd still be concerned. Also, looks like they were running the perfection line again today. Bergeron, Marshawn, and Pasternak back together on line one, which is very bad news for Krejci, Hall, and DeBrusque, who now all don't get to play with those superstars. They get to play with each other, which maybe is a little bit nice. At least DeBrusque and Krejci have been getting power play time. Uh, but Hall, like, really kind of left in the lurch here. How I'm concerned, right? Like, I think we're talking snoozer territory very soon. Like, maybe he'd be at the top of my watch list if he did get dropped, just because he's Taylor Hall, and I know he's, like, a very talented player. But And, like, things could always change. He could get back with Pasternak. Maybe he'd get back on the top of But this is, like, maybes, right? If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. So I'd be very concerned about Taylor Hall right now if I had him. Me too. Me too. I really would. I'm trying to recover from my off-mic reaction to that last thing you said. Taylor Hall, it's it's been ugly for Taylor Hall this year. One thing we noticed last year was that Taylor Hall was deferring a lot more when he was on the ice with David Pasternak. And this year hasn't changed that. In fact, it seems like he's just like straight up full-time deferring now. Taylor Hall, a guy who shot, who took on average three and a half shots or more per game or somewhere in that vicinity for the better part of a decade is now barely taking two shots per game. And I don't see any reason to think this is going to change for the better anytime soon. The other thing that really hurts Taylor Hall is his power play usage. As you mentioned, Elon, he has just one power play point in 16 games. And I'm not sure that we should expect that to change. Maybe he should be doing a little bit better from the second unit, but I'm not expecting the you know, the 20 or 25 power play points that we've been able to expect from Taylor Hall, that's sort of averaging out as power play production has been really spotty over the years due to time missed and changing teams and so on and so forth. But as of this moment, I'm with you, Elon, that Taylor Hall might not be on snoozer watch. He might just straight up be a snoozer. I thought playing with Pasternak would be a good way for him to guarantee himself fantasy relevance. It hasn't been. And of course, losing that top power play deployment has been a big part of that. I dropped Taylor Hall earlier this week in one of my leagues where I grabbed him off waivers a couple weeks sooner. He did some really great things for me in the couple weeks I had him, but I needed to make a cut. And he was an, one that was pretty easy to justify. So if you drop him, you might be a little sad because he might still put up big points for two or three games at a time. But that doesn't differentiate him very much in all likelihood, from the guys at the top of your free agent pile. And if you're watching him with four shots over his last three games coming into tonight saying, what can you do for me? I'm not sure he can do a whole lot more. So um, yeah, if you have Taylor Hall on your roster, it's time to reevaluate and make sure he actually belongs there over the other free agent options. Yeah, Brian, uh, it's it's pretty wild what's going on here in the NHL where you've got uh, Taylor Hall becoming droppable. I uh, didn't expect to see that happening. Just just feel, feels like yesterday that he was winning the Hart Trophy, but I guess that is actually kind of a long time ago. All right, let's go to Vancouver now. We're still in outjuries here. Brock Besser returned on Tuesday. It's been great. He picked up an assist in each of his three games so far, and I wrote that before Vancouver's game that we were just talking about versus Boston today, and I believe Besser picked up yeah, yet another assist. That's Make that four points in four games for Brock Besser, and you may be thinking, eh, 
eh, fine, like he's getting some assists, but if he's not going to be shooting like that, but no, like he's also still taking lots of shots on goal. So if anything, like he's probably due for a goal at some point. So I'm really excited about what I've been seeing from Brock Besser and the lines in Vancouver have been very interesting. So they lost today to Boston. So probably there's going to be a huge shakeup. The big news today was that Kuzmenko, Andre Kuzmenko was healthy scratched, uh, which is pretty wild considering just like a week ago or so, I was like really regretting having dropped him in the cupful because he was really rolling with Pedersen and on the top power play. But actually, Kuzmenko already a couple games ago got bumped from the top power play by Brock Besser. So it's been Miller, Horvat, Besser, Pedersen, and then Quinn Hughes. And now today, Kuzmenko healthy scratch. So probably just to teach a lesson. I'm sure he'll be back the next game. We'll have to see. But yeah, Besser finds himself on a line with Pedersen and Mikhaev today. Before that, he was playing with JT Miller. Uh, so... I'll just throw it out there. I, Brian, yet another, I've been telling the story of some free agents I've been grabbing in our shared league. I got Cam Talbot. I got Noah Hannafin. Another guy I got in the past uh, like seven days is Brock Besser, which I couldn't believe. He was injured at the yeah. time. And I feel very excited to have now these three guys. So, well, Talbot, we'll see. But like, I think guys that are going to stick on my roster for a long time. I still have another one I'm going to get to a little bit later. Uh, but uh, Besser, what is there to say? He's good. Like if he's he's still like uh, not super highly rostered, right? He's only sixty percent rostered on Yahoo. So if you could get him, I think definitely go get him, especially if he's going to stick with Elias Pettersson. But maybe that won't last now that they lost today, and they'll bring Kuzmenko back the next game. But I guess actually before I throw to you, Kuzmenko, okay, snoozer alert here. Uh, he's been slow. Uh, obviously, he could come back. Make the point of scratching a player is obviously to like teach them a lesson. Like the plan isn't for <laughs> Kuzmenko to become a healthy scratch all season. So I'd imagine he'll come back, and we'll have to see if he got the message from the coach. I guess he was having some defensive lapses. Uh, so what do you think about him? Let's say compare him to Taylor Hall. You know, if you have both of them and you're going to drop someone, who's the drop there between Kuzmenko and Hall? I think I would drop Hall first. I actually did. I had both of them, but this was before Kuzmenko became a healthy scratch and lost his top power play deployment even. Uh, and I dropped the I dropped Hall because I just think his ceiling is low while Kuzmenko still has this like kind of unknown, unplumbed upside, I think. You know, you can see the game before he was scratched. He played only nine and a half minutes, so I think he did something wrong. Uh was, like, so wrong that he had to miss the entire next game for. And I actually don't know that this is a, a move Bruce Boudreaux uses a whole lot. So it does concern me about Kuzmenko. I am, like, really carefully considering how much he belongs on my roster. I'd like to give him another game or two to see what happens coming out of I the would. scratch. I would do that. Yeah, that's exactly what I, I plan to do. Um, and that's why, and I would drop Taylor Hall to give him those extra couple games, even though Kuzmenko's situation looks really dire right now. Elon, I can't remember how many guys really ever get healthy scratch and then come back and do well, like in our fancy relevant. Heronic did way. it last year that he was worth holding for a really good stretch. I think he was like the best recent example, but like he wasn't like a yeah. superstar, but he was like healthy scratch. Then he came back and had like five games or so in a row with the point. I remember I was really excited to get him out of free agency. Yeah. I wonder if anyone can think of somebody who like has this trajectory during a season. Like it's, it's a pretty bad sign for that. They're going to be fancy relevant throughout the whole rest of the season. Like to me, this changes my expectation that maybe Kuzmenko will get hot again, but then he'll go quiet and not be totally rosterable the rest of the way. For Brock Besser, though, by the way, like you can have uh, Cam Talbot. Who's the other guy? Oh, Noah Hannafin. Mm-hmm. You could have those guys. I am mad that I missed out on Brock Besser. Uh, no goals yet either. Eight assists. He has no goals on 22 shots. It's not what we'd expect from Besser. He probably has a couple more assist- assists than we'd expect because of his points participation. But trade those off. And you're still having Besser at like the 65-ish point pace that he's already on, which is right where we expected Brock Besser to be and is definitely fancy relevant. So there's no reason for him to be a free agent if you're in one of the 40% of leagues where he is. Go and snap him up. Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, so a couple more guys I want to talk about on Vancouver here. First of all, Bo Horvat. The dude can't stop scoring. He's been so His goal uh, on Saturday versus Toronto brought him to nine goals in his last seven games, which is insane. What did he do today versus Boston here? Let's see. Uh, no points, but five shots. He did his best to score. He couldn't get by Linus Allmark, clearly. Uh, but yeah, he's up to now. So what is it? 13 goals, 17 points, and 16 games on the season. Obviously, the goals are unsustainable. Uh, but are you seeing anything different about him under the hood? Like a uh, name that I've seen thrown out there that maybe like, is he having a season now like Chris Kreider had last season? That, like, you know, like where a guy who'd never really scored yeah. more than 30 and he was like scoring like so many goals and we we're like, ah, it's probably not going to keep up. And the next thing you knew, Chris Kreider scored 50 and it kind of feels like Horvat is on that trajectory right now. He's shooting so much. He's scoring a lot. 
I don't. I'm really into him, but obviously, I'm ready for you to pour some cold water and tell me that he's only gonna, you know, get back to thirty by the time this is all said and done. Or maybe, you know, he's banked so many that maybe he'll end up with forty, but like he'll pace for thirty moving forward. Elon Chris Kreider is also the name that came to my mind when I was looking deeper at Bo Horvat because he is crushing it on the power play, which is where Chris Kreider was crushing it at this point last year. Uh, Horvat already has five power play goals, but the thing about Horvat is this isn't really a new thing for him, and yeah, he's shooting. 28 percent almost with the man advantage but he usually shoots 22 or 23 percent and he is in that sort of front bumper spot helping clean up trash and getting these really high 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 danger looks that he can put away Uh, so he's in a great spot on the power play horvat knows how to take advantage of it Uh, he has been fantastic 13 goals on 53 shots and again that's in just 15 games his at five on five, his expected goals rates are up. Not so much that it covers his five on five shooting percentage doubling to above 20 percent. So that that's where I would see some room for Horvat to regress. But this is a guy, Elon. Maybe we just haven't given him enough due for doing what he did last season. Horvat pays for thirty six goals over eighty two games last season. That was good, and I think he did it pretty sustainably. So this season, I look at his numbers. Horvat seems to be on track to do at least that again. I wouldn't rule out 40 goals, and that's a pretty impressive feat, considering that he is sort of playing in, well, a very blendy kind of top nine situation in Vancouver. Uh, But that power play time is really where he feasts, and I think he's an unsung hero in leagues where you get uh, really great credit for power play goals over the last couple seasons. Yeah, man, and if you're in a league that also counts face-off wins, Horvat must be like at the top of league scoring right now. I'd have to check one of those. Uh, okay, on the other side for Vancouver, by the way, Brian, something really eerie happened while you were talking about Chris Kreider and how he scored all those goals on the power play. He literally just scored a power play goal for the Rangers. They're up 3 nothing. Have you <laughs> Have you heard about the thing where uh, John Hamm, when he's being interviewed by the Blues broadcast, Ivan Barbashev scores. No, but I have. It's happened like three consecutive times. <laughs> oh, well, I have Barbashev right now. I'm streaming him for Monday, Wednesday, and Cupful next week. So hopefully they'll get John Hamm on the broadcast. I wouldn't mind. Uh, but okay, sticking with Vancouver, that's pretty eerie. Uh, Demko sucks. Okay, I'm just, <laughs> I don't know. I could do a whole lead in. Like Demko once again played today versus Boston. Once again was bad, letting four goals on 27 shots. So that's now 11 games. And do you want to count? Do you want to guess the number of games out of those 11 where he's let in fewer than three goals? Listener, I'll give you a moment to think and try to think, oh, out of 11, how many? he's got to have at least one. Zero. None. Every game, three or more goals. Three is good for Thatcher Demko. Today was four, unfortunately. He couldn't meet his like best, which is three. Uh, most recently, before today, he stopped only 24 of 29 in the 5-2 loss to Montreal. I mean, what are we doing here? Like, are we buying him cheap? Like, he's got to be dirt cheap. I've been getting questions about people wanting to drop him, and for good reason. Like, are we... I don't know. I guess it's like with Merz Lickens. You could probably say the same thing. Like, you expect him to get all the leash in the world. I'd, I'd expect even more than Merz Lickens, considering, you know, how great Demko has been over these past couple of years. But man, this is this is brutal. How do you hold on to this guy that's just burning you game in, game out? It's really hard. And what do you do, especially if you invested big draft capital in him and you look at the guys, the the skaters drafted around him, probably doing pretty darn well and you not getting the value that you want out of Thatcher Demko, who in 10 starts this season, just one of them has been quality. And that's going into today, Elon. So I haven't done the math. It was not quality today. (laughs) It was not. So now his quality start percentage is below 10%, which is crazy, right? Even, Even in a small sample, we usually don't see quality start percentage in the worst case fall below 35%. So Demko has been just egregiously, egregiously bad. Um, here's the thing. According to his expected save percentage, he's he's just playing a little bit below it. He's actually outperforming Bobrovsky by this measure, believe it or not. Uh, but well, to be fair, and when- I know you always say this, I always feel like I need to, cor- not correct, but like point out, expected save percentage, you're talking at even strength. At five on So five. today, for example, Boston scored uh, one, two, three, uh, or no, two power play goals. Bergeron and Marshawn, you scored a power play goal. So yeah, you could then, yeah. but I mean, at some point, you also have to say like, you should probably stop a puck uh, shorthanded sometimes. It would be helpful. Which, which he hasn't done. He's got a 686 going into today. It's probably worse now. Shorthanded save percentage. So yeah, he's getting crushed there. And I think what I said about Demko last time, it holds somewhat true that Demko, like that, you should expect penalty kill save percentage to be something that fluctuates 
over time. Right now, it's just going down in one direction. But I don't think this means that Demko is going to be this bad all season uh, on the penalty kill. The other thing that stands out in Demko's numbers is this is easily the worst defense he's ever played behind. This year, his expected Fenwick save percentage is a 934. This is all, by the way, on evolving-hockey.com if you're looking for where I get these numbers. Um, So 934 expected Fenwick save percentage this year compared to previous years, 942, 938, 940, 946, uh, way back in his first nine games in the league. So this is, uh, this is bad. Things are, things are going poorly, but Demko is actually holding up pretty well given the difficulty of five on five shots. It's on the penalty kill where he's really struggling. And I think Elon, I would like, why not kick tires, send a buy low, see how low you can get him by someone who's just frustrated and think of dropping him anyway. Um, it might not be a sure win because there are some problems with Vancouver, but we said this, like this exact thing last season, right? Vancouver just looked so irredeemably awful. And then they came out of it and Demko was really valuable at that point. So maybe you can catch him on the up. Yeah, that's the thing. Like if you trade for him, you're, you're giving assets and also you're potentially risking that he just continues to like hurt you, right? Like when you have him, it's not only like he's not doing well, he's like actively hurting your save percentage, giving you negative points and cupful. So you have to be willing to take that risk. But yeah, obviously we've seen the upside in the past and I don't know. Yeah, this defense is really bad. Hopefully uh, Vancouver can turn it around, but I don't disagree with you that he's someone that definitely should be better. Uh, okay, uh, a couple more goalie outjuries, and let's get to these streaks. Okay, Jake Ottinger returned. I uh, had a rough outing versus San Jose on Friday, crushed it today versus Philly. Nothing to talk about. I think he's amazing. Like You're happy to have him back, for sure. Uh, in Chicago, Petr Morazic returned. He actually looked really good on uh, Thursday versus LA. He's up 33 of 35. Uh, Arvid Soderblom has also been good. He was good versus Anaheim on Saturday. He's up 39 of 41 in a 3-2 win. So I'm guessing 50-50 moving forward. That's my guess. Like, I don't think they... It would be crazy for them to try to play Morazic as a starter just because I feel like he's like a Ranta, right? He's just going to get hurt. So I feel like go 50-50. And maybe streaming these Chicago goalies isn't so bad or not as bad as it seemed like it would be at the start of the season. Uh, like, they're, they're not, they're, they've been okay. Next week, they play Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday. So I think if you add Morazic, you're going to get two games, probably Monday and then one of the Saturday, Sunday is my guess. There's always a chance you could get the Wednesday if they decide to give him the extra start. So if you need goaltending... I'm more confident right now in Morazic than Demko, which is definitely not something I would have said at the start of the year. Wow. Yeah. Like, I, I want to disagree with you, Elon, but I can't. And I would, I'll go a step further and say I'm more confident in Soderblom than Morazic. So, like, that really, we're, th- this just displays our zero confidence in Thatcher Demko at the moment. And of course, Soderblom and Morazic are both going to get blown up while they play, but I'm with you, Elon. Why, why not? Why wouldn't Chicago try and get some mileage out of Soderblom and just, you know, give him some reps now to start building that career track record and history and knowledge and, and lessons and experience? I think maybe the only reason that Chicago might want to try and play Morazic a little more, although maybe it's to not play him that much, is because, I mean, he's on a two-year contract, but Maybe they would like to use him as a trade chip. I mean, at some point, but he's not, he's not a he's not a really great trade chip. I mean, whatever they traded everyone else, yeah, probably they will want to trade Morazic. And who knows? There's a lot of teams that need goaltending, right? That's why three point eight mil for another for another year after this one. Yeah. So it doesn't doesn't make him a really great like unless they retain. I mean, he would need to put. He's like a Matt Murray, right? Like he needs to actually play like five games in a row where he doesn't get hurt and doesn't get blown up terribly before any team's going to be interested in him. But uh, right now, okay, he had one. So one out of five. Good job. By the way, like I said, with this good schedule for Chicago next week, that means you're going to want to stream it. Take a look. They're all out there, I'm sure. Taves, Max Domi, Radish, like whoever you want to try from Chicago, they're probably all out there. And now's the time to get them because next week's one of those weeks where there's a lot of players who are playing just like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, especially Thursday, Saturday. So you're going to get three off day games if you grab one of these Chicago guys. I, I grabbed Jonathan Taves. Uh, he did nothing on Saturday. Like a car- He was on this great hot streak. Then he had a cardio game, as we're calling them now on Saturday, where he got zero zero cup full points but hopefully that he's just saving it up to give me some points next week uh speaking of matt murray he's actually expected to return on tuesday so we'll see i have the zero faith by the way like yeah i'm gonna say yes if he's out there grab matt murray's starting goalie on a good team with samsonov out sure i think he's gonna get hurt uh but i hope he doesn't right so i'm just throwing, there's nothing to say we don't even have to discuss matt murray but he's gonna play on tuesday apparently uh kevin asked us to talk about michael bunting uh he got back in the top six he was playing on a line with matthews and nylander yesterday the leafs have been running some different lines here so marner and matthews split marner was playing with Tavares and kerfoot so great spot for bunting he didn't do anything 
He's only one assist in his last 10 games. But, you know, last year, he also had a slow stretch. And then he went on to have a really good season. And he's in the same spot, I guess, as he was last year playing with Matthews. So he's the kind of player who I would probably, if not add right now, I'd be watching him closely. And maybe as soon as he gets his first point, or at least, like, I guess he has to prove that. I guess the, the difference between last year is, like, he's already been sent down to, like, the fourth line. So who knows if that could happen again. Like, I guess you have to be a little bit nervous. But I don't know. If he plays a couple games on that line, starts getting a point or two, I wouldn't wait too long to add him if you're not going to grab him now. Which I, I would understand. I'd understand dropping him now, but I feel like he's probably going to do well if he's playing with Matthews at some point. Yeah, I I think it is really similar to last year where Bunting wasn't performing as expected. Now he's not performing at all. And so he was dropped to free agency. And then depending on what stage, like where your team is at, how much you can take on a zero guy, if you have a lot of a lot of room, a lot of slack in your rope for where you, you are in your league standings, then you can go ahead and grab him and be patient. Or if you don't, you wait and you make sure like, hey, if he's staying, if Bunting's staying on the top line or starts putting up a point, then maybe you go and get him. One thing going for Michael Bunting is that there aren't a whole lot of other options that Toronto has to put up on uh, on a line with Austin Matthews instead of him. They've tried a couple. No one's done any better. And what I'm seeing from Michael Bunting looks very similar to last year. I I, I don't think that things are worse, that he's worse. He's any worse at playing this role this year than he was last year. What I see is that he's shooting 4% instead of 13% last year. And that 13% seemed pretty reasonably sustainable to me. And his uh, on-ice shooting percentage at five on five for bunting, 6% versus last year's 13%. These are both the sorts of markers that will regress. Like these are big signs that, hey, everything is actually pretty fine with Michael Bunting and we're just seeing some unfortunate variance and bad luck and that things are going to even out sooner or later. Hopefully it's sooner. Uh, And of course, your belief in how soon depends on how willing you are to drop him or leave him in free agency. But I think he's going to be on, like he's going to get going and he's going to stay on whoever's roster he was added to from the time he gets going through to the end of the year because nothing looks materially different. And I don't think there's a whole lot of challengers for Michael Bunting to be playing with Austin Matthews. Okay. So we'll uh, have to wait and see there, but you know, it's easy for us to just talk about the guys who are doing really well and tell you to get those. I think the the real trick is to try to pinpoint the players who now's the time to get on before they do well. I guess Brian is, is, uh, you know, planting his flag on Michael Bunting. Okay, we got some streaks to get to finally. I guess we already did this cold streak with Michael Bunting, but now we're, we're on total streak territory. No more injuries and outries. We'll get to all of them in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back. Brian, I want to start in Arizona because they're playing right now against the Rangers and Clayton Keller has just scored yet another goal. Clayton Keller is so good. He is now up to 17 points in 15 games. This is on a, he's on Arizona. How does he do it? I don't know. Anyway, the, unfortunately, the Coyotes are going to play one game next week. So hopefully Clayton Keller will give his managers a multi-point game to you know stave them over for only one game. But is that even the right word, use of the word stave? I don't know. Anyways, not a fantasy question. I guess you could tell me that if like Clayton Keller is overperforming or not, but I just feel like, cause he was so great last year also over a point per game. So it seems like this guy's for real and anyone who drafted him, I know we were talking in our discord and people were talking about how he scored a lot of empty net goals, but I mean, come on, like he's clearly very good. He just scored now, <laughs> not on an empty net. So there you go. There's one for him. Uh, one of many. Yeah, on our Discord server, our, our eagle-eyed patrons, uh, Alex and Quellyford, both mentioned that they thought that Clayton Keller was getting a, a an abnormal, disproportionate amount of his points against empty nets. And sure enough, Clayton Keller leads the league in empty net points. He's got four so far in 14 games, tied with Connor McDavid and Victor Olofsson, which... You know, one thing is kind of interesting to me that Arizona, that Clayton Keller can be up here while playing for Arizona, who going into the season, we wouldn't have expected to see a whole lot of empty nets on the other side of the ice because that means they're leading late in a close game. But sure enough, that's what they're doing. And uh, so that's one way Clayton Keller is putting up points this season. Another way is, yeah, he's he's just... Well, he's having success. I honestly, I'm having a hard time buying completely into what he's doing um, because Arizona just does like they, and I think I mentioned this when we talked about Keller last a few weeks ago, they just look bad and Clayton Keller's shot rates are down. And sometimes I'd be like, Oh, well that's the player slowing down or being asked to play differently. And I legit think 
he's shooting less because there's just less opportunities being created for him to shoot. Keep in mind, Nick Schmaltz is out, and I think that does impact Clayton Keller. And when Schmaltz is back, I might be higher on Keller again. But for now, like to like today, he's playing with Travis Boyd and Barrett Hayton. How many shots can you possibly get off when you're playing with those two guys? And on the blue line, the, the top pair was J.J. Moser and Yusuf Alamaki again. How many opportunities can you really generate in a bears out in his expected goals numbers? They're low on ice expected goals below two per 60 minutes. That's that's bad. And so while Keller's numbers like his scoring has been good, his own individual numbers look pretty meh. And he's been relying on even strength points to get to where he is. Um, So last season, you know, he had 77 point pace. We were hopeful that he could do that again this season. So far, he's on an 87 point pace, but I would actually probably put him closer to a 60 point pace. (laughs) Yeah. And I I know it's crazy. It doesn't make sense. I don't think he's worse than he was last year, but I think the team around him has gotten so much worse that there's only so well that he can do at least until Nick Schmaltz gets back. And what a crazy thing that is to say. Yeah. I think that you're going to one day have this played back to you and you're going to have a red face when you, when uh, that, that happens. In, w- in what way? I think he's going to have like 80 points this year or, uh, you know, at least, oh, wow. or I don't know, maybe not at least, but I think 70 to 80, like I think 60 is like a really low number for someone who's like, I guess. like already on his second year of producing above a point per game. Uh, well, I heard all no, your reasons. I heard all your reasons. Year. Yeah, no, it's not his second year of producing. He's just done it once. Well, I know, but I'm saying he's on to his second year, and so far he's doing it again. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, and and also, if if the glass is half full for Clayton Keller, it's not that uh, it's not me being concerned that Arizona's not going to see many more empty nets. It's that the Coyotes put him on the ice in those situations, and when there is an empty net, that he gets an opportunity to put a point on it. Yeah. So. There's that. I, Elon, I'm not... So what do you think? I said you're, like 70 to 80, in, I think. Yeah. Maybe on the higher just, end of that. Wow. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. I, we'll, see. we'll see. I know. One of our faces will be red when we listen back to this. Uh, yeah. Because we definitely will listen back to it. Oh, well, someone should. Someone should let... Put it in the hot... T- don't we have a hot take room in, in Discord? We have a hot take account. Someone channel. put that in there, please. I want to see. But please. Put Brian's uh, 60 point Clayton Keller there. I think that's going to be something that's worth looking at when we do lessons learned of how to be better next put, year. Put Elon's <laughs> point per game player. Clayton Keller. To 80. Okay. So uh, next hot streak I want to get to. Here's a guy you've never believed in. So I'm really interested to hear what you're going to say about Jonathan Quick, who's really turned it on lately, right? Four wins in his last five games, all quality starts. The one loss was an OT versus Chicago. So uh, that was a 2 1 loss. So that's also a good game for Quick. Finally sat for a game yesterday after playing four in a row. And Cal Peterson, hey, he actually won a game. Uh, he did let in three, though. So it was a classic, like, Thatcher Demko, you know, game where, like, even in a win, like, he, he, he still was obviously going to let in three because Cal Peterson kind of stinks. Uh, so all of a sudden, like, I think Jonathan Quick, I don't think people are really... Everyone still wants to say, like, Cal Peterson's the future. Uh, you know, LA want, has him with this big contract. They want to give Peterson uh-huh. lots of games. Let me just say, who who still wants to say that? I don't know. I just like, feel I, like, like <laughs> I was a I was a Cal Peterson booster for a long time. Even I've given up on him. Okay, so would you agree moment. with the statement? Jonathan Quick is a volume goalie on a really good team. Yes. Okay. So yeah, I would agree with that statement. Even though, like, he's not a great volume goalie. He's a like he's he's a nine oh four goalie. Elon, and he's playing below his expected number. So he's doing worse. Yeah, but you're looking than... at this whole season. Like, just look at the past couple of weeks. Like, he's really, like, gotten dialed in lately. <laughs> like, yeah, he had a slow start. Is, is that... Okay. Forget about yeah. it. Right right off those Elon, In the last couple of weeks, <laughs> Jonathan Quick has two 895 starts. Two of it... Like, he had... He's had two really good ones. The two before that were both sub 900. All right, fair enough. I don't know. I'd still grab him in every league. That's all I'm saying. I think he's he's he could be a volume starter. I think he's still inconsistent, but he is definitely in a in a year that LA wants to contend with a young new group. I don't think they keep handing the the puck to Cal Peterson and saying go out there and wreck us because that's all Cal Peterson seems capable of doing. He's someone who could really use a fresh start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Zach is asking in the chat: Is Velarde cooling down? Yeah, we haven't heard as much from Velarde lately. He's still been playing on the top line and on the top power plays. So I guess he's not going to get a point every game, right? But he's still. So what are, what are we looking at here? He had no points in his last couple of games. Before that, he had goals in two straight. 
Yeah, I mean, this is probably the regression you'd expect. I, I don't think anyone was saying he was going to be uh, like an 80-point guy. I'm still into him. I think he should be rostered pretty much everywhere. Probably going to be like a 60, 65-point guy, similar to what Brian thinks Clayton Keller will be. That's what I think Gabe Velarde will be this year. <laughs> I think that's reasonable. Keller will do better than Velarde. I can say that. Also, where Okay, so if Keller's 60, then how far much, how low is Velarde? I think Velarde might be closer to 55, maybe even... I, mean, I I don't know if, I, if I'll go below 55 and maybe, okay, maybe you're making me regret saying 60 for Keller. You know me. I like to be conservative. I think 65 would be reasonable. Fair. I just wanted to hammer home. Oh, we don't need to reopen. Yeah, yeah. No, let's talk about Velarde. That. You're not into him either, well, it sounds like. Well, just the, the trouble with Velarde is he's been scoring on one out of every four shots he takes all season long. And he's also not like a reliably consistent shot taker. So he's not a like with that volume not coming big, that doesn't make up for a, you know, 25% shooting percentage. Uh, he has just two goals and no assists over his last six games. Uh, he's taken uh, like 14 shots over his last six games, so just a couple a night. The deployment's still good. But I'm starting to wonder if maybe a good comp for Velarde, who is super talented, and this isn't to say this is his ceiling, but a good comp for him this year might be sort of like an Alex Kalorn type when he's playing with great players in Tampa and on the top power play. You know, he's been sort of someone who bounces between, like, can bounce between 50 and 60 points. That's where I see Velarde falling yeah, this year. I think that's fair. Also, there's no guarantee he's going to stick with this deployment. Like, Kevin Fiala is still there playing with Kevin, like, not Kevin Grunstrom. What is it? Something Grunstrom. That's rude of me. Carl. Carl Grunstrom. Yeah. And so like, and hey, it's going really well. Like Fiala keeps on getting points. So maybe they just keep that going. But obviously it wouldn't be shocking to see Fiala get back up there and Velarde to go back to line three if like LA goes cold again. So if you could sell like Velarde for like more than what Brian said, then probably worthwhile. But definitely I wouldn't drop him. All right. Next up, I want to go to Montreal. Here's a guy who I think we're both going to agree is awesome. We just have to give him some kudos at this point. I guess we can talk about how awesome really is this guy. That's Nick Suzuki. Holy cow. So two straight, one goal, one assist games. Now he's up to 19 points in 15 games on the season. That's a 104-point pace. And Ricard wanted us to talk about him. He brought up how he has an unsustainable shooting percentage at 5-on-5, like probably an unsustainable on-ice shooting percentage, all that stuff that makes you think that you have to regress the guy. So maybe he's not a 100-point guy. I don't know. Though, like, on the other hand, Ricard was bringing up his IPP looks good. I'm just going to throw it out there as, like, the basic boring guy who's not looking into the advanced stats. Suzuki looks like a superstar. He's playing on the top line. He and Caulfield and now Kirby Doc seem like just amazing and I don't know like Ryan if, how much there is to dig into it like he's like on my like sad cuckupful team that hasn't done as well as I hope they would uh, Nick Suzuki is one bright light where I got him for pretty cheap in the auction draft and he's been so far like the biggest steal he's like a huge superstar like I'm curious to know like are we looking like oh yeah so Ricard asked like should I try to trade him now like sell high and he was throwing out names like Patterson Bergeron and Tarasenko I was like, well, we'll get to Tarasenko, right? Like, we people have been asking about St. Louis, but like Pedersen and Bergeron, do you think that's like a really good steal if you could trade Suzuki for those guys? Or are we at a point where, yeah, like Suzuki is basically in that same category as a guy who's like a strong threat for like 90 plus points? That's a really good question. I think I would consider Pedersen or Bergeron just because they seem a little steadier. Like, I'd rather have a guy who's in his second, third, or 15th season doing this than Nick Suzuki. I mean, I get like, yeah, this is his first season doing this. He was a 60 point player last year and the year before that. I know he really turned it on towards the end of last year to become that 60 point player, though. A lot of people lost patience with him in the front half of the season, which is reasonable, but no one's losing patience with Nick Suzuki now. 10 goals in 15 games. He's pacing for 55 goals on the season. One of the reasons for that is that he has scored six times on 19 shots at five on five. But even if you take out those extra goals, which I think is probably the one place that he's really significantly overperforming, um, that still leaves him at a point per game pace and with six goals in 15 games, which is not too shabby. If you're going to get me uh, more than a goal every three games, I will happily take it. So I think you're right, Elon. This is just a moment to recognize Nick Suzuki doing real well and that top line in Montreal doing really well. Kirby Doc rolls along. Cole Caulfield having a great season. Forget everyone else in Montreal, though I know you're about to bring up someone else <laughs> that you don't want to forget. But this is this is a line worth buying in on in a city that we weren't sure was going to have like sure shot fantasy value, but I am sold completely on Suzuki Caulfield and 
last week. I said, pause the pod on Doc. I, I hope you did. I hope you got him. Yeah, well, Brian, I was mentioning that I was going to complete my Mount Rushmore of awesome ads in the Bupful League we're in. So yeah, over the past seven days, it's been Noah Hannafin, Cam Talbot, Brock Besser, and Kirby Doc. What an ad! This guy, two assists versus Pittsburgh yesterday, brought him to 11 points in his last seven. Not only is he like my one of my best ever free agent ads, let's give some credit to Kent Hughes. What a great trade, right? To get this guy. I mean, I guess it's too early to like totally, you know, like we said last week, like who knows if the pick that they traded turns out to be something big. But man, like uh, what a turnaround for Kirby Doc's career uh, coming to Montreal so far. Uh, the guy I wanted to bring up is Mike Hoffman because he's only 2% rostered. So in your deeper leagues, he's got goals in three straight games now. Was doing absolutely nothing before, which is why he was so low roster. But like Mike Hoffman is someone who we've known to be a goal scorer for a long time. He's not playing like in the fourth line right he's playing i guess on the second line with gallagher and dvorak so yeah i don't know in a deeper league i think mike hoffman is someone now to pay attention he's not even on the top power play. i don't know you're probably just gonna say it's unsustainable but i feel like he's he's a big enough name that when he's scoring goals i get a little bit of a hunch that he could keep it up a little bit so i don't know if i'm streaming someone and i'm looking i think mike hoffman is someone you should at least add to your watch list you could add him to your watch list especially if three or more shots in a night is going to help you, which is what he's done now in five consecutive outings, including 12 shots over his last three games during which he's scored four times. So converting four times on 12 shots, that's big. And about now he's where he should be for goal scoring, you know, at a, scoring on about 15% of his shots at all strengths, five goals in 13 games. Like this all brings him up to a 40-point pace. And Elon, this is exactly what we saw from Mike Hoffman last season when he was on a 43-point pace. He would do a whole lot of nothing, and then he'd build some heat, build some heat, build some heat, and then go quiet again. So yeah, while he's building heat, go get Mike Hoffman. But honestly, the second the goals stop, especially if the shots aren't of much value to you, you can just drop him. Like this isn't someone you're going to hold on to just in case Mike Hoffman finds his old game that had him oh, with 70-point yeah, yeah. paces in three or four seasons or even a 60-point pace. That's not going to happen. You, this guy's a pure streamer when he's scoring. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, he's definitely just someone for deep, deeper leagues when you have a spot for him. Uh, let's go to San Jose, okay? Underpants Gnomes wanted us to talk about Timo Meyer. I was like, what is there even to say? He's got 12 points in his last seven games. I guess San Jose played today and Meyer did not get a point, though great uh, comeback win for the Sharks. 3-2 in the shootout over Minnesota. Good for them. Uh, Meyer didn't get a point. He did have six shots. Who'd even score these goals? Nico Sturman, Stephen Lawrence. I guess it's good. You, Stephen Lawrence. I should actually finish saying the name, but like it's, it's got to be exciting for Sharks fans that they're winning some games lately and especially if you go win a game where you're just getting like depth scoring like this like when do the oilers ever win a game when the goals are from like players on their third and fourth line that like never happens i'm sure so uh good for the sharks uh timo meyer is great i don't know brian if you want to dive into him let's not but i guess i could mention a couple of people like associated with him that you might be interested in moving forward so alex barabanov has him pretty decent lately he's been on the top power play and he had a goal and assist versus dallas on friday uh no points today for barabanov but he had three shots yeah, really good ice time, like almost 19 minutes of ice time. And like I said, on the top power play, Kevin LeBanc is also someone who had been on a bit of a hot streak. Uh, five points in his previous three games going into today. He's playing on the top line with Hurdle and Meyer. Uh, if I were to recommend one, it would be Barabanov. I just kind of don't have faith in LeBanc. But curious to know, like, if, if you if you want to stream in a shark and, you know, you can't get Meyer, Hurdle, or Couture or, or uh, Eric Carlson, uh, I guess, to me, the next choice is Barabanov. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think some of us soured on Barabanov early this year when he missed some game time, right? And Luke Kunin was doing well on the top line. It's like, oh, is Barabanov even going to get back up there after missing the first few games with injury? Then he had just one point in his first five games. But since then, he has seven points in seven games, a goal and six assists. He's taken two shots per game. He's got solid deployment. So yeah, give me Barabanov as... My preference to, uh, who'd you even say? Kevin LeBanc. Yeah, who is, like, he's doing okay, but he's not someone to hold on to. Mm -hmm. And I might take Barry Banov over a lot of sort of streamer-level players that we've mentioned today. I'm looking back through, uh, like... Adam Ruzichka? I'd take him over Ruzichka. I would take him... uh, Versus Velarde, I think, would be an interesting place to stop. Come on, you have to take Velarde. Easy. Yeah. Come on. I I think I do. They have pretty similar numbers, Elon, and one of them is producing them 
like really unsustainably and the other is doing it more sustainably okay wow that's uh, and one is hot lately barabanov's hot lately velarde's cold okay interesting yeah i i wouldn't go that far but yeah I, it's making me more excited that i have barabanov in the cupful uh, another point by the way for eric carlson today and apparently barabanov scored the uh, shootout winner today so it doesn't help you for fantasy but obviously it means the coach is gonna like him uh, where do we want to go to next here uh pittsburgh jason zucker looking really good on his line with malkin and raquel this is a guy brian who used to this is like tatar right like a guy you used to really like finally let you down enough that you're like fine i'm finally over jason zucker only for him to get this he's up to 13 points in 13 games now this season after his three assists versus montreal yesterday he's only 15 percent rostered on yahoo is this a pause the pot are we telling people that they have to rush to grab jason zucker point per game playing with malkin who by the way not to bury the leader malkin is very good (laughs) he has eight points in his last six games he's up to 16 points in 15 games he's not even playing with gensel he's playing with jason zucker and he's making jason zucker into a superstar so malkin uh, you know good for pittsburgh for you know extending that contract because malkin still's got it Jason Zucker outscoring my combined Crosby and Latang this week. I was very frustrated. I'm very frustrated this week, Elon. I think it's a week I could have won. I'm sorry. If I've gone on a bit too much about it, I haven't lost in a little while. I'm, I used to just be really used to it. I mean, like, yeah, of course it's going to happen. But now I'm, I'm mad again because I had a couple couple good wins or close wins, at least in a row. But one thing uh, in Jason Zucker's sales lately has been, you know, three goals on 17 shots as a 17 and a half shooting percent shooting percentage. Overall, though, there are some signs of life in Jason Zucker that we haven't seen before at five on five. He has increased his shooting rates basically up to levels we haven't seen for about ah, four, five seasons. And he's also seeing a little more ice time at five on five too, just like a shift or two a night. But that is worth something. And yeah, he's actually clicking with his line mates. The past few seasons, Zucker's on ice shooting percentage has been below 8%, which in one season, we'd be like, yeah, I should probably regress. But after three seasons, it's like, well, I guess Jason Zucker is not on lines that are really great at converting. But this season, he's broken that pattern. And for the first time in five years, he's on a line that is converting on uh, an above average number of their shots. And good for Jason Zucker. He's taking advantage of it. It's almost like, you know, I'd say this is a similar to a Tomas, Tomas Tatar situation, where if you look at his eye, and I mentioned Zucker wow. earlier in the what show. What a brilliant so insight. A great, That's good. Great on ice expected goals race. Why are you joking? Did you already say that? Yeah, I said that since his name is Tomash Tatar for you. Okay. That's how I started this whole thing. Well, okay. Well, I, but I'm seeing it at bear out in the numbers too. So sorry, you were making the comparison uh, just on the, on the line combo level. No, I was making it based on the player you used to really like that you had given yeah. up on. Oh, I did yes. A whole intro. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, I remember that now, but I'm just, I'm seeing it come out in the actual numbers too. Beyond just the, we've seen it anecdotally, Elon. Now I'm seeing it statistically too, that Jason Zucker looking pretty good. Yeah. I wouldn't give up on him at the moment. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. Like if I, I, who would you prefer between Tatar and Zucker? Zucker, I think. Yeah. But I don't know. Why? I don't know. Playing with, playing with Malkin, uh, Tatar had, I don't know why. I just a gut feeling. I feel like they're both pretty similar, like you're saying. So yeah, maybe look at the schedule. There's not much to choose between. I, like I, I'm interested in your gut feeling. Sometimes you just I, it just comes out of my mouth before I even thought it, and I don't know if that's good or bad to go with that advice. Okay, but since we're here, Brian Chris Letang, what the heck? Okay, pointless in his last two. Uh, only eight assists in 14 games in the season so far. No goals, and we could be like, oh well, he should have more goals, like a bad shooting percentage. But look, he's barely shooting. 1.8 shots per game, worst of his career by far since he was a rookie. Like, do I have to start? Like, I, I want to, you know, hold the faith here, but I, I'm not liking what I'm seeing. It's not like he's taking a lot of shots. I already said that. I just I'm just repeating myself here. But I'm very disappointed in Chris Letang. And it sounds to me like you're starting to agree with me that he's not good. I was messaging you, like I said before, like weeks ago, saying I'm worried about this guy. You said to hold steady. I don't know. I'm starting to feel like we should have both just traded him when we had the chance, and now it's too late. But what what do you think? I mean, I like that you keep saying when I had the chance, like you thought, you, like you did. I would love, I'd be interested if you could confirm with Lori about no, that trade off. I could have traded him canceled. Yeah, no, I don't know like, if I could Like you said, I didn't get Eric Carlson when I had the chance. I didn't trade Kisletang. I don't know if you really had the no, chance. No, but I mean, I'm saying I had, to know. Yeah, I'm not saying maybe I had the chance to get Carlson. I don't know. I never confirmed, but like I had the chance to sell him high. Like definitely his value, like two, three weeks ago, was high. People probably thought of him as like, yeah, just a guy on a culture that's a superstar. I think now people are going to st- see him as like a risky option. Like I feel like I was. I on the ground floor of seeing that there's a problem with Chris Letang and I should have last year I did that with Tyson Barry right I traded him really early after spending a lot of money on him in the auction and it really worked out well for me I traded him for Jonathan Marsh so 
I just, I don't know. I, don't, I feel like I'm not on my game as, as high as well this year, Brian. I feel like, I don't know. I'm worried about Crystal Tang. But please, just tell me that Crystal Tang is going to be really great again. That would make me feel good. I think Crystal Tang is going to be okay. I don't know that I can go all the way to really great. As far as shots go, Elon, the one reassuring thing I can tell you is that his shot attempt numbers are fine. They're actually exactly where they've been for the last three seasons. But his shots on goal numbers, like the the number of those shot attempts that are actually getting on net has dropped. And I have to think, you know, 14 games in, that that is just an issue of variance. And it's not something to get completely hung up on. I also saw Jesse Marshall, who we uh, who graciously comes on to talk about pens every offseason with us, saying he believes Latang has some rebounding to do. It's just it's a matter uh, of when, not if. And I'll also point out one other area where Latang can do better, and that's on the power play. He has just two power play points in 14 games so far, which is low. Uh, he is the power play one quarterback. He still plays an important role on that unit, but his points participation has gone down. Instead of being involved in half the power play points the or the power play goals that the Pens score, uh, Latang has gotten a point on just a third of those. And I think that is something that's just going to naturally regress. Uh, the Penguins' power play has also been a little less effective in converting this season than they have been in the past. So I think, Elon, I know it's really hard to wait this out on Chris Letang, especially when the shots have disappeared. But there's reason to think, I mean, we were, we could expect some decline because Chris Letang is in his age 35 season. This is what happens when a player gets old. But I don't think that this is all age-related. I think age-related decline would have seen him go from a 70-point pace last year to maybe a 65-point pace this year. 50-point pace, well, sub-50-point 50, 50 point pace at this point is too low for Letang. And I think, Elon, instead of selling him... I wouldn't want to sell him. I don't think his value is going to get well, a yeah. whole lot lower, which is why I think you might, if you don't have him, buy low. If you do have him, I guess, yeah, holds your breath and white knuckle it. And I, I can't guarantee also there's like the Penguins. I don't know. They seem old this year, don't they? Like it just, they, they seem inconsistent. They seem like they're having a hard time putting in efforts night in, night out. And I just don't know if and when they'll find their way. So that's going to also determine where Latang goes. Like they had a really poor showing last night mm-hmm. um who, who was, it? was it against vancouver montreal yeah, yeah. so okay I, I don't know elon i'm, I'm hanging on no, I'm with I you at with this you. at this point yeah. we hang on because his value is already in the tank so now you just hang you on can't and, do anything else yeah like we yeah, but chance. you're gonna hang on and be sad about it yeah. i'm gonna hang on and be like oh, i think this is gonna work out yeah okay great well either way we'll both end up in the same place i guess we also should talk about brian rust right pointless in five games now he's on top line top power play nothing Right, I just don't have him in my leagues. That's why he's not top of mind. But like, do you think he bounces back like Latang, or is he at risk of potentially getting shuffled down the lineup soon if nothing happens? Shuffled down for who? Right, it's the same thing as Michael Bunting. I don't think there's a whole lot of competition for Brian Rust's spot on the roster. Um, he's also someone at five on five. His points participation has dropped, but that's something that we expect to just be variants because everything else looks pretty good. Okay, he's also yeah. So if that's I mean, if that's all it takes for to reassure well, you. Well, I mean, we all, I we're need... pretty deep into the show, so I think maybe we can yeah, go I was going to say, he, he's also struggled to pick up power play points. I'll add that just three so far over 15 games and on the top unit. We'd expect to see uh, at least a couple more by now. Yeah, I guess I will say when you say like shuffle down for who, I mean, he could get bumped from the top power play for like a Jason Zucker or a Ricard Raquel. Like that, that potentially could happen if they're not scoring. But I guess we'll wait and see on Brian Russ. But yeah, definitely disappointing. You're right. I guess a lot of these pens are disappointing, but not Malkin, <laughs> not Jason Zucker. Anyway, uh, some cold streaks over in Seattle. People have been asking about Maddie Beneers. Pointless and four going into today. And so far, we're 1-1 at the end of the second versus Winnipeg. And Beneers, no no points still. So, yeah. What, what do you think about this guy? He's someone we were really high on going into the year. I thought he was like my favorite for the Calder. But, yeah, so far, even though he's getting great deployment, today he's playing with McCann and Eberly, And he's on the top power play. But at some point, yeah. Uh, if he's not producing, I guess you have to decide if he's worth holding. Are we approaching like a drop territory for Maddie Beneers or is he someone that you think is going to bounce back and you would still hold on? Yeah, I'd hold on. He's still on the top line. He's still playing the most. The interesting part is that Seattle's still scoring, right? Their last uh, five games, they got shut out against Minnesota on Friday. But before that, they had five goals against Nashville, three against Pittsburgh, four against Minnesota, five against Calgary. So the goals are coming. Beneers just hasn't 
been getting them and they all seem to be coming. We talked about this last week, right? Where like Yanni Gord and Morgan Geeky and Brandon Tanev were getting all the goals. And I, that just hasn't really changed. I'm looking at recent Seattle goal scores. You've got the, the Wenberg Burakovsky line. I, uh, Eberly doing a lot of damage. William Borg, Borgen. Bor- I, I'm, I'm not even sure how to say his name. The Morgan Geeky, Wenberg, like again. It's B-O-R-G-E-N, Borgen. Like how Borgen? else would it, what else would it be? Bor- Borgen. I don't know. Borgen <laughs> just doesn't sound like a, You're like, I'm used to Borgstrom. So, coming from someone who says Jif, I guess it's hard for you to decide oh how to gosh. say Borgen. <laughs> yeah. So all I'm saying is I like, hey, Jaden Schwartz too, that whole top line, ice cold. And I don't think it's something that's going to last. I'm actually a little worried though. And I'm wondering if that's part of the deal with Jaden Schwartz. He still is not, practicing with the team on a regular basis every time i see the seattle beat writers uh show the lines in practice it's somebody else instead of schwartz and they like schwartz came out and skated alone before practice so i wonder if he's playing a little banged up and if that's impacting that whole line Uh, that would be a concern worth having and maybe that you know the domino effect on veneers would be enough to consider dropping him but I don't know the full story there. I just know that the top line is cold. And normally when a top line goes cold, they will warm back up again. So I wouldn't give up quite yet. But if we do find out that Schwartz, like if Schwartz is playing at 50%, I'd rather he just sit out and somebody else step up onto that top line. That would be better for everyone. Well, yeah, I've got him in Cupful. And next week, Seattle's schedule stinks. Oh, me too. They only, it's painful. They only play Thursday, Saturday next week. Two busy days. I'm probably going to drop him. I'm not going to lie. I also have McCann, who I might drop. But unfortunately, I have a lot of bad players on my team. So I have a lot of people to drop. Uh, but yeah, Maddie Beniers, there's a question here in the chat from Joel. Drop Beniers for Tatar? I'd consider it. I mean, especially yeah. for a bad schedule next week. I, I would actually just go ahead and do that. Oh, I would. Okay. Like without much reservation. All right. Yeah. So uh, then also there's a question here about Bjorkstrand's shooting percentage and how low it's been. Question from Acer. Uh, so I don't know. Seattle is tricky right now, like you're saying, Brian. They're they're not scoring as much as they should. Well, Bjorkstrand has taken 40 shots at five on five. He's scored on none of them. (laughs) Like, usually he he scores on 10 to 15% of his shots. So that should be at least four goals that he's put up. Um, But he has just one goal that came on the power play on 52 total shots. Bjorkstrand is shooting less than 2% when, again, his career track record is between 10 and 15%. I'm not seeing like any sign that his shots are any lesser quality than they have been in his best seasons so far. And he is firing away more than ever. His shot rates are the highest of his career. So this is someone who I think could bust out. And we've said this about Bjorkstrand before and it didn't happen, but I'm a, I would, I would hold on to Bjorkstrand depending on what the cost is. Maybe you could sneak him into FA and then sneak him back. But if you're just waiting and wondering, are the goals going to come? I think so. Yeah, it seems like they should with all those shots. Uh, this was Edge, by the way, who asked about Beneers earlier. Then yeah, Acer about Bjorkstrand. And now we have Terry who asked us to talk about Duchesne and the Preds. Duchesne is pointless in four games, but he did have 11 points in 11 games before this cold stretch. Uh, Terry was like, not sure what to make of them. Did the entire team have career years and now are regressing back to normal? Brian, are you worried about... Uh, I, don't, I feel like Matt Duchesne just a bit of a cold streak this past week, but before that he was fine. So I'm not too worried yet unless you're seeing something that I'm missing. And actually, since we're on the Preds, they've had some crazy lines lately, including a new face showing up. This is like another example of an Adam Ruzichka by the name of Yuso Parsonen, who in the last game was playing on the top line with Forsberg and Granlin. And Parsonen actually scored a goal. And then Duchesne was playing with Raijo and Nino. So yeah, a bit of a new top six over here in Nashville. Does that also consider, I guess, like Duchesne being away from Forsberg? I guess that's not great for him. Also, maybe you can comment on Yuso Parsonen and if he's someone that we should have our eyes on in deeper leagues. You know, we were talking about all these like really like low percent rostered guys. I guess ludicrous streamers, as Dave would call them on the stream scheme. Uh, so yeah, what do you think about Duchesne and Parsonen? I'm not worried about Matt Duchesne. Uh, like, I feel like I get tired of saying that, Elon. And I think my family, actually, and the people who know me get tired of me saying I'm not going to worry about this thing that might be happening that isn't looking good. It's just my general approach. And I understand it might be tiresome. But Matt Duchesne is doing okay. He, he hasn't scored at five on five this year. I think that's like no goals. That's going to hurt. And this is a guy who had 
some like a fair amount of success. He had 43 goals last year, excluding 16 on the power play. And this year, Duchesne also has just one power play goal, two power play points. And I think this is all, honestly, I think I can chalk it all up to variance. Uh, I don't see any any material change in any of his under the hood numbers. His shot rates are the same. Even his points participation is the same. Uh, his on ice shooting percentage is down. So like Nashville's just converting less than last year, but they seem as good with Duchesne on the ice, actually better than they were last season. So I really just think this is a cold stretch for Duchesne and to be cold and still be on a 60 point pace for Matt Duchesne. That's good, right? Like this is this is a good sign uh, that we can still enjoy that much out of a cold Matt Duchesne. I would, uh, if anyone's given up, I like. There's still definitely a little bit of risk there because Matt Duchesne hasn't been great for a long time at all. But I would still have faith that he's going to do okay. It is kind of a bummer that he hasn't done more for people who believed in him, like me, so far. But the power play points and even strength goals are going to come. I have some faith in that. As for Yuso Parsonen, uh, he is uh, he's going to turn 22 in on February 1st, which means I can't actually be sure if this is his age 21 or 22 season. I forget the way I actually for sure track it. Uh, he was a seventh round pick back in 2019 of the Predators, 210th overall. He This is his first full season in North America after playing a few seasons with TPS Turku in the top Finnish men's league. And uh, in Milwaukee of the AHL, Parsons has been doing pretty great. Two goals, seven assists for nine points in 10 games. And I actually like that Nashville has given this guy an opportunity to play offense right off the start. An issue with AHL call-ups in the past has been teams bring up their top, their most offensive, dynamic AHL scorer and pluck them into the bottom six and say, hey, you play a checking role and earn your way into the top six. So I like that Nashville's not doing that. It's actually that trend has sort of waned a lot over the last decade or so, which is lovely as a whole. But I am, uh, you know, I'm interested at least in passing, to see what Parsonen can do for as long as he's on the top line. It's just been one game so far, so I'm not going to obviously rush to go get him. But, you know, in terms of uh, like a comparison, maybe like an Adam Ruzicka yeah, exactly. is a similar in a similar situation. Yeah, so watch game day tweets. See if he's going to stick there for the next game. Maybe if you need to, you know, take a deep swing on someone. Okay, let's go to Tampa Bay. They just destroyed Washington today, six to three. Uh, Steven Stamkos with two assists. Kev wanted us to talk about Stamkos, who started the year off firing on all cylinders. Now nine games without a goal. Uh, make that, I guess, ten games without a goal. But he did have two assists today. So I don't know. Uh, you you could be worried about Steven Stamkos, but let me see how many shots did he take. I'm seeing only two shots. I guess that's not amazing. Oh, only fourteen minutes and fifty two fifty two seconds of ice time. What is going on there? Okay, so Brian, and, yeah, are we concerned? And, yeah, and the game before, he had only 15 and a half minutes. So I think we are concerned. We should uh, find out what's going on here. Yeah, they, there seems to be a little bit more to the story because he was playing 20 minutes a night, often more for the first chunk of the season. So to see his ice time plummet, like 17 minutes a, a few games back against Buffalo, 15 and a half minutes against Washington. And what did you say today? 14 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, that's concerning. He's still taking almost four shots a night over the last few games. So that's that's something. But I guess like so maybe that that makes me think that maybe it's not a, a hand situation, but maybe he's a less effective shooter. Maybe he's having a hard time moving around the ice. Elon, uh, this could be like a Logan Couture situation where the team keeps playing a guy and we see his numbers dip and... He's not healing or getting better. I'm a little concerned. I, there's nothing I can do about it, though. I guess let's just uh, put, a, put a flag in this and we'll look a, into it next week. Okay, we'll see if this is still happening. Maybe we can tweet at some Tampa Bay beat writers and see if we can figure out what's going on. Or Ben and Lewis could look into this on short shifts. Uh, we should also probably mention a couple defensemen. Mikhail Sergachev, huge game today. Two goals and two assists. He's on the top power play now. Hedman was on the second power play. No points. So uh, I, I, would you be nervous as a headman manager at this point? First of all, like, great for anyone who drafted Sergachev. I think I brought it up on a couple shows ago that it looks like he's having a breakout season. That was while he was still power play too. Now, I mean, sky's the limit, right? So, and then I guess the other defenseman, there's a guy named Nick Perbix who had a goal and an assist today. And he's been pointing also somewhat recently. So I'd be curious to know uh, if he's someone for deeper leagues, maybe that you're interested in, or maybe you don't know. But anyways, someone that maybe we could all just like, if you need D, someone you could try. But yeah, what's your thoughts on the Hedman-Sergachev situation? 
Well, we've seen this situation happen in the past, and what normally happens is Sergachev plays a few games there. Everyone's like, oh, is the torch being passed? And then Hedman just steps right back up, and that's it. And it doesn't seem to be like an antecedent or precipitating factor. It just is. But I will say, I mean, Hedman today, so like he kind of blew my my narrative by putting five shots on net today. But in the six games prior to today, Victor Hedman had a very unhedman like six shots total, including a game with no shots at all, which does not happen often for him. So again, Elon, this is a this is another question for a Tampa beat writer or anybody who's listening who happens to be watching the team closer than we're able to or knows more. Something seems to be up. Um, Hedman generally shoots more often than he has lately. So I want to know why he's not shooting. I want to know why Stamkos is playing so few minutes. And I'm also as curious as you are. The The answer of what to do here is not much because Sergachev is probably gone already. Hedman is probably on your roster. Can you trade go by- Trade Hedman for yeah. Sergachev? Oh, I love that. I love that idea. I don't think would I don't think I would be so bold to do that. Would you trade Sergachev for Hedman? Or like, I wouldn't go buying low on Hedman. You would or you wouldn't? I wouldn't. I, I would not go buying low on Hedman. Maybe that's foolish, but these shot counts really have me shook. So you, I guess, so you're saying Sergachev at this point is someone you'd rather have than Hedman. That's like tough to swallow, but I mean, it could be the case. Huge game today. You definitely could probably get Hedman for Sergachev right now if you. Had if I could trade Sergachev for Hedman, I would do it. And as Kyle and Chad is reminding us, and as I said on the outset, Hedman had five shots tonight. Okay. So like he's he's broken that pattern. I'd rather Hedman than Sergachev, but it's yeah. not. It's I'm uh, it's tricky. It's a little concerning. Yeah, like yeah, it's I, tricky. I think I would too, but it's definitely the ki- type of trade that you could end up regretting if this is the year that like Sergeyev just takes over on the power play. But like you said, we've seen this happen before and it switches back. All right, final team I wanted to talk about today over in St. Louis where everyone stinks. Alyssa asked, drop all the blues. As a Thomas, Buchnevich, Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly. Like they've all disappointed us, right? The only good ones have been Braden Shen and Justin Falk pretty much. So good for them. But yeah, what, what are your thoughts here just in general? on like if you have Rob Thomas, if you have Buchnevich, if you have Tarasenko. O'Reilly's been dropped a bunch of times in Tier 1 that keeps on getting dropped and re-added. Uh, and he, I think he had a goal in the last game for whatever that's worth or an assist. But uh, yeah, what do you think? Do you think that these guys are all going to bounce back or are you worried about these high-end blues, Thomas Buchnevich and Tarasenko in particular? Oh, and Cairo, I guess, is another one who's really disappointed. All of St. Louis has been disappointing. One culprit for that is they rank 31st in team shooting percentage, uh, 6.64%, which is... Uh, couple or a few percentage points lower than we should expect them to to be doing however um they are also not doing great in terms of expected goals they are like just under just below i'd say the middle of the pack although if you look even below them you see teams that haven't had so many trouble so much trouble scoring like colorado or i guess seattle to some extent but we just talked about some of seattle's scoring troubles so I, uh, I I don't think I'd be giving up on any one of these players. I think there seems to be like an overall problem. It's almost like the Vancouver situation where I'm kind of waiting on a coaching change to see if that shakes things free and, and fixes, you know, you can't fire the players. I don't think there's anything wrong with any one of these guys. I'm not going to single any one of them out and say, no, they're not going to do well anymore because whatever I see in their numbers until the whole team so it's figuring out if one or two guys get left behind, I'm going to look at those guys. But so far as the whole team is struggling to do anything, uh, I'm not going to sour on any one player. That To answer the question of what to do with any of those players, if you have them, um, you probably just hold. I, I don't think there's a whole, like, if you're in a shallow enough league, maybe you can stream out, I don't know, Kairu or Bruchnevich or test the trade market, see if anyone wants to buy low and take on that risk while we wait for St. Louis to right the ship. But I think it is just a matter of St. Louis writing the ship and how much, how patient you can afford to be to wait for that to happen. Kevin is saying the Boos are pulling a 2019. So uh, maybe this cold streak uh, means they're about to win the cup this year. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, by the way, at least for next week, Blues have a good schedule. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. So if you have any of these struggling Blues, don't drop them now. 
hold on to your uh, Rob Thomas or Buchnevich, and hopefully this will be the week that they start heating up, and at least you're getting games from them, as opposed to if you drop them for someone else, it might be for someone who will be on your bench. Uh, okay, Brian, this has been so much fun. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'd love to hear from you. Tweet at us for as long as Twitter is still around, at Keeping Carlson. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback, and we answer advice questions over there. We also answer a ton more advice questions, and in a lot more depth over on our Patreon Discord channel, or server, I should say. And so come join our community. We're having a lot of fun there. And if you like the show and you want to help support us and also get some cool perks, uh, check it out over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We'd uh, appreciate a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. But I guess that's enough from me asking you to do things. So I just want to ask you all to have a great week in fantasy. Good luck, okay? But with that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. Why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Kevin, Aaron, Tyler, Andrea, Tom, Ryan, Derek, David, Rub, and of course, Patty. Thank you to our couple coordinator, Kevin A. Bear, and our team of co-commissions. Thank you, Elon and Shams Benamore, for keeping the amazing stream of fancy news rolling over at GameDayTweets.com. Thank you, Ben and Lewis, for two amazing Short Shifts episodes a week. I actually listened to both of last week's today. It's never too late to sort of, like, it's good to remember where we came from and what the narrative was, what the trends are. I think there's still some info to be found uh, a few days after the fact. You can follow them at Short Shifts KK. Thanks to Dave for a weekly episode of the NHL Stream Scheme. You can follow him on Twitter at NHL Stream Scheme. Logo art by BrandonWeeb.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trek, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, HockeyGoldies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and Yahoo. Awesome stuff, Brian. Thank you so much. Again, looking forward to a couple more Short Shifts episodes. Looking forward to listening to today's stream scheme from Dave, which has already dropped, and I'm going to listen to that really soon. And then, Brian, of course, always looking forward to talking to you every Sunday, and we'll do it all again next Sunday. Just tell me what I need to do in the meantime while I'm waiting. Well, I want you to do what you said everyone should do, which is enjoy your week. Hope you have a great week. But also along the way, do what you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone. And also consider donating to PJ's Movember campaign to the link in the show notes. Thanks. Bye.